Hello and welcome to the Wharton FinTech Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Applegate, and I'm joined today by my guest, Asad Ramzanali from the Center for Financial Services Innovation. Um, we had a great conversation with Asad last week as part of our annual Wharton FinTech Trek to San Francisco, and we're very excited to continue the conversation today for the, uh, for the benefit of our listeners. So thanks, Asad, for joining us. Thanks for having me. So to, to get started, why, uh, why don't you briefly tell us about your background and how you arrived at CFSI? Yeah, sure. So before CFSI, I spent a few years at Intuit, uh, the folks who make QuickBooks, TurboTax, Mint.com, and a whole slew of other things. Um, so, so I started there, actually started my career there as part of their rotational program, spent uh, some time on a couple different product teams, um, both on the small business side and on the consumer side. And then I spent a few years on their corporate strategy, corporate development team. Uh, so got to see some mergers and acquisitions, uh, many of which didn't work out and, and a couple that did. And then got to see a lot of internal strategy work. Uh, got to really expose myself to the breadth of Intuit's businesses. And while you know, Intuit is one player in financial services, um, the differences in, in what you learn from a customer in TurboTax or the, the type of business issues they're experiencing there, it's just wildly different from, from QuickBooks in the small business world. So it was fascinating getting to see the breadth of what they're doing. Um, I knew about CFSI a bit through some of the research that I did while I into it, some, some of the internal strategy work. Uh, like many people, I was kind of exposed to CFSI from the, the research angle. Um, but I was more formally introduced at an event that CFSI was hosting I heard about the organization and about the lab that, um, you know, had been formally announced but hadn't really been completely set up yet, and, and you know, very quickly knew that I wanted to be part of that. So that's kind of how I how I got here and, and have been at CFSI now, almost a year and a half. Great. So so maybe you could tell us a little bit more about what CFSI does and how how the organization is structured. Yeah. Sure. So our mission is to improve consumer financial health in this country, especially that of the underserved. Um, and to define that term for a second, so financial health comes about when your daily systems help you build resilience and pursue opportunities. So to kind of you know, uncode what that means, we used to talk a lot about the issues of the un and underbanked, um, but this is a little bit more focused on the solution aspect. How do we, how do we help improve consumer financial health for Americans? At its core, we lead a network of financial services providers. We convene that network, um, but outside of just bringing them together and doing events, which is a big part of what we do, we have three sets of activities, if you will. So the first is, as I alluded to earlier, research. So we help the industry understand things like consumer needs, the state of financial health, uh, the market size. Um, we, we have a, a consulting business where many companies will come to us and ask us for help on product strategy, or things like measuring impact of their current offerings. Uh, and then where I sit is our innovation arm. So we've had a long history with innovation. Over time, we've made direct equity investments. We ran a fund. We ran a nonprofit regranting vehicle. We've hosted hackathons. But our, uh, our latest and greatest, our largest initiative here right now is the Financial Solutions Lab, which is a partnership between us and J.P. Morgan Chase to support startups and nonprofits that we think can really further the cause of improving Consumer financial health. Uh, so that's where that's where I spend most of my time. Great. So so I'd like to talk more about the Financial Solutions Lab in a little bit. But before we jump into that, 
um, can you tell us more about CFSI's research and, and you know, what, what are two or three of the, the biggest insights that you've seen uh, come out of that? Yeah, totally. So CFSI's done a ton of research, right? And, and the, the couple things that stick out to me, uh, I'm a numbers person, so that's what comes to mind uh, most quickly for me. So um, last year we, we concluded a study that showed that 57% of Americans are struggling financially. Um, you know, at its core, when, when you just stop and think about that number for a second, that, that's insane. Uh, every, literally every other American is struggling with their finances. That, that concept is, um, it's really crazy, but, but you know, we, we dug into that and tried to understand what's going on, and so that research was really fascinating. Um, would one you, of the just for the benefit of our, just for the benefit of, of yeah. our listeners, would you, would you mind um, going into a little bit more detail there and talk about, you know, how you defined um, struggling financially. Yeah, so the way we did this, this was kind of at the beginning of our process to define what financial health is. Um, so the way we did this was we did a broad nationally representative survey of about 7,000 Americans and asked them about all types of things in their lives, right? How much debt do they have? How much do they save? Um, and then we grouped them. We, we did, um, you know, a, a basic segmentation um, almost a very mathematical segmentation to say what are the groups that mo look most alike. We came out with seven groups that fell into three buckets, um, one of which was financially healthy, and the other two were coping, and then there's, there's a group that, that's really struggling. Um, the, way, the way we, you know, what we learned from this process, right, of trying to understand the similarities and differences of these groups was that it's not just a factor of income, right? So initially one of the hypotheses was that this would just be a spectrum that rep represents income. It would just be a clean correlation, and the poorest Americans are struggling, and the richest are not. And, and, and while income does have a factor to play here, and it, it, is, a it is a variable that correlates with, with what we're looking at, what we found was there, there's a couple of things that actually are better indicators, and, and those tend to be ad attitudinal types of things. Um, so a couple of examples of that. Um, one, when we look at the uh, the rate at which people save. The, those who say that they save regularly tend to be four times as financially healthy as those who say they don't, right? And we're not even getting into are they saving enough and all those things. It's just do they save regularly. Uh, those who plan ahead financially tend to be 10 times as, as financially healthy uh, as those who, those who don't plan ahead. Those types of attitudinal views were, were really interesting to us. Um, it's, it's, a, it's part of a much larger study uh, called the Consumer Financial Health Study, and, and, and those were two of the highlights that, that stuck out to me, but there was a ton of insight that came out of that. Great. So let's um, – um, any, any other insights that you'd, you'd like yeah, to share so, in terms of the research? Or, yeah. yeah, you know, so a couple other points of research that I think are, are really interesting. Um, one is we do an annual market sizing. Uh, we basically say how much how much is the the underserved group spending on financial services. Uh, I, I think that number is surprising to a lot of people. It's 138 billion dollars, uh, and then it's it's an unfortunate reality that that market's growing. That 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 number is growing about eight percent annually. Uh, so when you think about from a you know the standpoint of where you would like to see more companies or more innovations, this is a huge market and it's grossly underserved. Uh, so that makes it. Uh, you know, for, at least from where we sit with the lab, super interesting. Um, but what, what, one, of the, one of the other things that I find really interesting is our, is our research called the U.S. Financial Diaries. This was actually a joint initiative between uh, CFSI and NYU. 
the researchers followed 200 low and moderate income households over the course of the year to, uh, to collect high level and detailed data on how these families manage their finances day to day. Um, so it really humanizes the issue. Um, you, you get to see charts and graphs of, of where these families are spending money, where, how their income's coming in, and, and you see these spikes and dips. Um, there's one family in particular who stuck out to me, the, the Johnsons. Their graph shows, when you look at their expenses, it shows a massive spike in the month of September, just almost double the expenses of their other months. And when you dig into it, you're able to understand that they bought a car in the month of September because their old one stopped working, and they had no other choice. There's no real public transport where they live. They needed a car to get to work. Uh, they also had to spend $1,500 that month on a, on a leaky roof, right? So the, these financial shocks that they're, that they're coming across. So it's really interesting to kind of humanize those things and to see stories like, like the Johnsons, which, you know, by the way, isn't their real name, but, but this is a real family. We've just kind of changed some of the, the identifying details here. Uh, so that's that's a few of the points of our research that I find to be most interesting and, and compelling around what's going on with, with this segment. And just one more question about your research. Um, is it readily accessible, um, you know, on, on your website, or how, how could our listeners potentially engage um, with, with some of the research that CFSI has done? Totally. So um, most of our research is readily accessible. We do have pieces that are for our, um, our network members, but all of the studies that I cited are on our website, cfsinnovation.com. So all those are definitely worth checking out. Great. So let's, um, let's turn now to the Financial Solutions Lab and, and talk a little bit more about, uh, about that. So if you could just give us an overview of, of that part of the business and then help us understand what makes it unique compared to other accelerators. Yeah, sure. So the Financial Solutions Lab is set out to support FinTech startups and nonprofits that are focused on this mission of improving consumer financial health. Um, like I said, it's a, it's a partnership between us and JP Morgan Chase. The way we're set up is we'll, we'll put out a consumer challenge every year, uh, and we'll look for solutions to that challenge. So last year, we put out the challenge of helping Americans manage household cash flows. Uh, and we saw a lot of those needs in the U.S. financial diaries and in other research we had done. Um, and we saw a huge response. Uh, we, we were pretty shocked by how many companies are doing something in the space. Uh, 298 applicants. Um, we selected nine of them. And the way it's set up, the winners get 250000 in funding. Um, but we, where we found ourselves to be most helpful as we kind of you know, came to the end of our first class here was areas where we're uniquely positioned to help these companies. So access to industry, financial services, massive industry, it's hard to, to really know who to talk to and who within each organization you need to talk to. That's, that's our bread and butter. That's where we're really helpful. And that's where a partner like J.P. Morgan Chase can really help. Um, so that's one thing. Another is exposure to the regulatory community. Um, and, and the third is we, we built out a set of partners that have deep industry experience. So those three things, are say, I'd say, is where we're most helpful. And to go back to your, your previous question, you know, we, we tend not to call ourselves an accelerator because most of our companies are a little bit further along than accelerators. They have product and market. Uh, but also because you didn't hear me say we help them hone their pitch. Right, that's not that's not part of what we do, and and I don't mean to, you know, downplay the need for that. I think that's a lot of these accelerators are providing a, a much needed service. 
But where we sit, it's a little different. It's more about access to industry and the regulatory community and um, really knowing the, the depth of expertise that, that CFSI has even internally. Okay, great. So let's let's dig in a little bit more to um, the applications that you received last year. So you mentioned that you received 298 applications from companies um, to address your your challenge in 2015, which was helping Americans manage household cash flows. Um, can you talk about some of the broad trends that you observed within the the applicant pool? Yeah, so so this is this is actually uh, you know after after we saw the response of having 300 applicants, it was actually a, a great idea that we had to to just sit and analyze those 300 to really get a snapshot of what's what's going on with early stage fintech, right? They, at least from what we can tell, there's not a lot of people who have a view of um, early stage fintech that serves the underserved consumer. Um, so when you define it that narrowly, right, it's an it's an interesting topic. So we, we identified kind of four things going on, and, and I'll talk about a couple of them that, that I think your listeners will find interesting. So um, one was personal financial management tools. Um, there was a number of them that just helped consumers plan or analyze their spending. Uh, but when there was tools that did that in addition to helping folks save or pay bills or really take any action on their money, um, that latter group tended to be, more broadly, broadly speaking, more successful. So on average, they had 16 times the number of users. They had raised six times the, the amount of capital. Um, so just looking at this small set that we had, there's something about taking, helping users take action on their money rather than just helping them plan or, or see their money in a new way. Um, the, the second thing we were seeing is the nature of credit. There's a lot of people coming at that in new angles. Um, so it's not just a loan or a personal loan or an installment loan. There was all types of new things. You hear about marketplace, and we saw some true peer-to-peer -peer lending. Um, we saw credit builder loans, income sharing agreements, income smoothing tools. We also saw a couple of models that work really well offline in the developing world, um, one of which is called a ROSCA, more commonly known as a lending circle or saving circle. Um, we saw uh, you know, a digital take on that. We, we saw a few different versions of that, that innovators are trying to take this thing that we know works offline um, and they're digitizing it, and they're saying, how can we make this work in, uh, in America using the tools that we have with the Internet? So that was really interesting. Uh, the third trend, I think, is pretty specific to what we're doing. Um, the pr uh, from an infrastructure perspective, a lot of folks are talking about cryptocurrency or blockchain, uh, and we saw a little bit of that, but what we saw more of from an infrastructure perspective were companies using the, the architecture that exists for prepaid cards, um, you know, it's not to say that that's better than cryptocurrency, but from where we sit and in in the use cases that we uh, narrowly focus on, we just didn't see, um, you know, the, the killer app, if you will. Um, I'm generally a believer that we're probably in the early days of cryptocurrency, but for this market, we just haven't seen the use cases. We just haven't seen a ton of them yet. Um, and then the last thing, there's a lot, there's a lot of companies trying to sell through employers, whether that means connecting through paychecks or selling to employers as a benefit, we saw a lot of that. Um, you know, that's, I think there's a lot going on there, and that's an interesting channel to get to consumers. Um, but that was something that we were a little surprised by. There's just a number of companies trying to, trying to use that channel. So it, it must have been a, a pretty 
difficult process to narrow down the pool of you know 300 to the nine companies that you ultimately chose to invest in. Uh, I'd be interested in knowing you know which criteria you use to evaluate your applicants and and what made the winners stand out. Yeah, it was it was definitely a difficult decision. It involved a lot of coffee and late nights and uh, re- reading all these applications and trying to get to know these companies. Um, so yeah, there, there's a there's a handful of criteria that that we look at. Um, we we start with consumer impact and quality of company. That's our focus. So we look at does this advance our mission? Is this something that we think can really have a, a, a positive impact on consumers? And then we also look at uh, something we use called the Compass Principles. It's a it's a set of principles we develop to help. It's aspirational. It, it kind of defines what a good product should be should be aiming towards. So we also look at that. Um, that's where we start. The second bucket is around the team. As with all early stage organizations, this matters a ton. We want to see a team that can do this or that has a, a focus in being able to do this. Um, the third is around ability to scale. Um, we want ideas that we can really you know, see grow into having a national impact and really making a dent in the, in the issues that the, the 57% of Americans are facing. Uh, and the last one is degree of innovativeness. Is this a new idea? Is this something that the industry can learn from? Will this really push the ball forward in the broader goals that CBSI has? So those are those are kind of the buckets of things we looked at. It, it wasn't easy. A lot of this is is difficult to do, but um, we were pretty happy with where we landed. The, the first batch of companies, um, we've really enjoyed getting to work with them and and getting to see what they're doing. But they're all doing really interesting things, and they're really sharp teams. Right, and it sounds like there's a lot of interest in the program too on the on the part of the companies. Uh, so maybe you can talk talk a little bit more about one or two interesting companies from your first cohort, and and what gets you excited about them. Yeah. Um, so so we we were pretty fortunate in in that all of our companies in our first batch are, are really really fantastic. Uh, I'll tell you about two that that I think will kind of paint different examples of, of interesting parts of this industry, uh, but really solving the challenges that we see with this consumer segment. Uh, so the first is Digit. They're, they're a text message-based savings tool. You connect your accounts. It looks at it looks for small amounts of money based on your income and spending patterns that it can put into a savings account on your behalf every couple of days. Uh, really simple concept, but they're growing like crazy. Uh, and, and it's probably because it's a simple concept. It's all SMS-based. Uh, they've got a rock star entrepreneur at the helm. This is interesting because it has broad appeals. Many of your users are probably users of, uh, of uh, many of your listeners are probably users of Digit. Um, and if they're not, they definitely should sign up. Uh, but from where we sit, Digit has an outsized impact on the underserved community by making it incredibly easy to save when so much of this segment doesn't do that today. Um, another example is Ascend. Ascend is a, a better consumer lending product. Um, their key insight is that if you took all of today's subprime borrowers and you looked at them one year out, um, about a third of them will be deep subprime, so that so their risk level they, they they degrade in their risk level. About a third of them will stay subprime, and about a third of them will graduate into a prime credit score. Um, they have a product that does two interesting things. One, it helps the the folks who we think will become those that graduate into prime. It helps them self-select into this, this loan that they've got called Rate Rewards. Uh, 
but it also helps them become better borrowers by giving them a discount on their interest expense each month when they do certain things, they take certain actions that help them longer term, but also make them a better borrower. So things like uh, adding to your savings account or paying, you know, paying down your credit card debt. Um, that'll actually help you reduce your monthly interest expense on your Ascend loan. Um, so they've been, they've been doing fascinating things and learning a ton, and, and we've been excited to work with these two and, and the others in the lab to, to kind of learn from them. And just so, uh, just so we have a full picture of your 2015 class, what were the other companies um, that, you, that you started working with last year? Yeah, so um, the two I named, Ascend and Digit. Um, number three here, Even, an application that helps folks smooth income, especially for hourly workers that have big spikes and dips. Propel is um, re really trying to help folks who apply for and maintain their food stamps. Um, LendStreet is a better debt restructuring platform that helps consumers who often only have the choice of bankruptcy or may have a couple of options that, that aren't the best at times. PRISM is a predictive bill pay tool. Um, PayGoal, which, uh, which is built by a nonprofit called Neighborhood Trust, uh, they're a workplace tool that helps, um, helps employees of a company manage their, their money coming in but also set goals, whether that be paying rent and making sure you have money to make that or longer-term goals. Um, Puddle is a it's it's a iteration of that lending circle saving circles model I was talking about, uh, where folks can go in, build a community, and uh, borrow from that community when they need it. Um, and then Support Pay is a platform that helps separated or divor divorced parents manage child support. Well, it sounds like it was a really successful year last year, um, and I, I know you've got another challenge coming up for 2016. So, can you tell us more about what's on deck for this year and uh, and and what the the theme will be? Yeah, so we we just wrapped up our our first class year, our first cohort, uh, a couple weeks ago, and um, opened our application for the second round at the same time. Um, we're looking for startups or nonprofits that help Americans weather financial shocks. So like last year, this is a broad consumer challenge. Uh, over 60% of Americans experienced a financial shock in the last year. Uh, we're looking for solutions that can help consumers in many different ways. Our first cohort, the companies I just told you about, they do things like lending, savings, bill pay. We're, in, we're still interested in those categories, and we still think there's a lot to be done there. Uh, but we're also now interested in longer-term solutions so things like insurance, retirement, asset building. Um, we've got a broad challenge here that most of Americans are, are facing, and, and we're, we're interested in seeing what's out there. Um, applications are due April 7th. Go to financialsolutionslab.com. If you have a company or a nonprofit in the space, or if you know of them, uh, we, we want to meet you. We want to hear about it. Great. So let's uh, let's just spend a few minutes here at the uh, towards the end of the the discussion talking about some some higher level themes. Um, the the you know one thing that that I think about a lot is the role of regulation um, in the financial services industry. So I, I'm interested to hear your perspective on uh, what role regulators play in either aiding or hindering innovation in financial services. Yeah, so I think the short answer is a huge role. Uh, financial services is a very regulated industry. 
you don't have to look too far um, into industry press to see the issues that some of these fintech companies are facing. We found um, that some of the most sophisticated entrepreneurs realize that they want to engage early and often with regulators in a proactive manner, not just in a reactive manner. And we've also found that from the regulatory community, you know, many of whom we have great relationships with here at Pegasi, uh, there's a desire to engage. They, they want to get to know the innovators and understand what's going on. Uh, to give you an example of that, we, we hosted a roundtable in D.C. at the beginning of December with the first batch of our companies, the ones I just told you about, and 40 or so representatives from federal agencies that regulate consumer finance in this country. The conversation was amazing. There, there was so much pent-up interest in both sides understanding each other, and it was just a really, really healthy dialogue. Um, you know, our view is we need more of this. We, we need more of both sides of the, the coin here being exposed to each other. Uh, and, and I think there's a desire on, on, on both sides to do more. Um, while there's a definite need for regulation in consumer finance, I'm a big believer that innovation can be a force for good here. Um, we need entrepreneurs trying new things. And, and uh, you know, we're excited when regulators are, are ready to work with them, and we're excited when entrepreneurs are ready to work with the regulators. So regulation is obviously one factor to consider here, but there are lots of others too, um, especially when you think about the future of, of uh, financial services. So, you know, looking forward, what, what do you think the consumer financial health space will look like five to ten years from now, and what are some of the major changes that we'll see going forward? Yeah, um, it's, it's a good question. I, you know, I think predicting the future is always, it's always difficult to do. Um, but I'm, I'm generally speaking an optimist. Um, I think we as a society are just figuring out how technology can be best employed in several, several different arenas of our lives. Um, consumer finance is one of those. I, I think consumers' needs and solutions that we see in the market will be better aligned. Um, and I'm hopeful that you know, th this framework of how, how uh, businesses can improve consumer financial health, that, that is one way of aligning those, those, those uh, incentives of, of businesses. So I think there's going to be a better matching. I think you'll see more solutions. Um, and, and we're hopeful that many of them will be really good for, for consumers. Um, I will say there's a ton to do. right? While we're seeing a ton of innovation and we're seeing a, a lot of folks trying new things, there's still a lot of work to be done. Um, so I will say, you know, we, we play a big role in this. And, and if you are an innovator doing something in this space, we want to talk to you. We, we want to understand what you're doing, and we want you to join the conversation with us. Um, so I'll put another plug in for financialsolutionslab.com. Check out what we're doing. And, and if you're in this space, um, we, we'd, love to, we'd love to talk to you. Well, thanks. Thanks for all of your your. Uh your thoughts. This has been a really interesting conversation, um, and we're really happy that we could continue continue it from last week when we were in uh, when we met with you in person in San Francisco. So, thanks again for taking the time to join us on the Wharton FinTech podcast, and, and hope to um, hope to have you back again uh, sometime in the near future. Thanks for having me.